Well, good morning, and it's good to see you. Holidays are upon us. <laughs> um, the, the word that I have uh, this morning um, came to my mind when we had a week, not a week, a day of prayer for MLG a few weeks back. And uh, the phrase was this, positioned in victory for conquest. Positioned in victory for conquest. And uh, it's not anything new to us. So as Peter says in, I think one Peter says, I remind you. So um, um, I... You know, in a, I come in that spirit this morning to remind us and to encourage us as to who we are in, in God and what we are called to do. And, and uh, I'm trusting that the Lord will help me to communicate what I believe is deposited in my heart anyway, because I don't know about anyone else who speaks, but you know, uh, this is how it works for me, you know God's deposited something and then you've got to work it out. And um, uh, so I know it's there, I just don't know how it's working out yet. So by the end of this time, we know how it's working out. Um, but there are two, two sort of key points I want to make. First one is this, that we are to live in the fullness of, of Christ's provision as gained by his death and resurrection. That's the first point. second point is to work out the victory of the cross in our world through the extension of the kingdom of God. And um, I hope to sort of make that clear. And I, and I was encouraged when Chris Spicer spoke a couple of weeks ago when he talked about particularly about us as Christians needing to come up from the basement into the ballroom, if you remember that. If you weren't here, I recommend you listen to it. Um, it's on the website um, if you get access to that. If not, let me know and I can, um, wherever Dave's gone, I can maybe do, he's disappeared, or is he on his knees? Can't see. Um, but, you know, this whole thing about who we are in Christ is not just a feel-good kind of sermon. It's not just about us going away feeling good about ourselves. It is really about, although it should make us feel good in the sense about having joy in our lives, we should know joy even in the depths of difficulty and struggle, and that's easier said than done. Isn't it great to see John here, by the way? What a man. What a man there. To, to, for, for John to hear this sermon is easier said than done. Um, but it's true. And so we have to discover these things, the reality of these things. But first we believe that there is joy, as we've been hearing some of the worship that we've been having, some of the words, there is joy in the midst of struggles and difficulties and all these kind of things. There is joy. And it should, when we read the word, when we hear the word, it should lead to fresh joy and an increase in faith. Because when Jesus shed his blood, he, he shed it for a reason that we need to enter into the fullness of what he has shed his blood for. Amen? And, um, and so that's what we're talking about. God hasn't given up so much in order that we may sh uh, paddle in the shallows. He wants us to dive right in and enjoy the fullness of his blessing. And, and um, I, I might have said this before, it didn't cost God um, in comparison to the cross, much at all to create the world and the universe, but it cost him everything to save me and to save you. And so that's his lever of investment on us. It's to bring us into fullness of Christ. So, um, you know, when we think about the cross, the cross is, uh, and this word victory, and I was thinking of doing a, a picture at the back, but victory has the cross right in the middle. The T, yeah. Yeah? yeah, it's good, isn't it? 
yeah? Victory as the cross I'm in it. Any place of victory stands or falls on something. In any battle, the victory stands or falls on something. There's a turning point, and the turning point for us is the cross. So victory of Christ stands on the cross, the power of the cross, the foundation of the cross. Everything comes back to what Jesus did on the cross. Everything that we can claim as a promise of God, everything that we do in the name of Jesus goes back to what Jesus did on the cross. And again, this isn't new. This is, this is, this is found, foundational, fundamental stuff, isn't it? So you can say amen because you can say, yes, I agree. I'm glad we're still preaching this in the church, John. Amen. amen. Good. So we have confidence because of the cross. I am confident as a Christian. I stand before God. I will stand before him. He will welcome me. As we heard, we have a hope that is steadfast and sure. When Samuel went to be with the Lord, he had a confidence and a hope because of the cross. Amen? Amen. Our faith firmly rests in God because of his victory over sin and Satan. The cross dealt with Satan once and for all. It dealt with sin once and for all. It dealt with the, uh, the wrath of God once and for all, because that's who we really need to be saved from if we are sinners. It dealt, because of the cross, there is no other requirement that I have to attain with God. It's all been provided by him. Victory, as I said, has the cross at its center. Here's some verses. Colossians 2.14, disarm the powers and authorities, putting them to open shame, triumphs over them in the cross. And Ephesians 2, 20, 21, when Christ rose from the dead, he was seated at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power. In other words, he conquered, past tense, the spiritual forces of darkness at the cross. And so I'm just bringing these things out because when we think about being positioned in victory, our position is, where am I standing now, is based on goes right back to what Jesus did because he is the one who has taken me and you out of the miry clay and set our feet upon the rock. The cross is the complete work of the Trinity. The cross is the full work of the whole Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God the Father sent the Son to save the world. Amen? The Son submitted to the Father's will. The Spirit applies the work of redemption of Jesus to us, his followers, God is completely invested. It's not Jesus' little pet project. God, from the beginning, before he even uh, created the world, foresaw and organized the need that the whole Godhead would come and save mankind. If look, you look in Ephesians chapter 1. Redemption is predestined by the Father, accomplished by the Son, and applied by the Spirit. Okay, this is good theology, isn't it? Amen. I know it's quick, it's quick fire. Um, the cross is the release of power. Yeah? When you say amen, you can say it so I can hear you. Because some of you are mouthing it and I can't hear you. It's encouraging to hear you say it. The power is coming to the world through ordinary people like you and I. Because of the cross. Power is released to set men and women free. Amen. Power is available for healing of hearts, bodies, and minds. Power is available to resist the nature of sin. We all, here's, here's the thing. When Jesus said to the woman, go and sin no more, he wasn't winding her up to do something that was impossible. He had knew that he was going to provide a way that we can live day by day without giving in to our sinful nature. That's what Romans 6 
is. That through the cross, through the Holy Spirit and filling our eyes, uh, our lives, sin is rendered powerless. Yeah. It's wonderful. Power has been poured out by the Holy Spirit. And this is not just an earthly power. This isn't about talk. This isn't about physical strength. This isn't about great willpower. This is characterized essentially, well, and by many things, but by these things, by a quiet confidence and trust in God, faith in prayer, patience in suffering. You know, it's interesting how when you look at some of these things, how the world makes a big noise in our current political climate. People are waiting for the noise of, you know, this rhetoric and all this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, and everyone's just basically waiting when you read the news. They're all, they're all suspicious and all this kind of thing. But when you listen to the Lord, I'm not commenting on that, but when you, listen, when you look at the Lord, the Lord doesn't need to say a thing. When he stands before Pilate or before, before that Caiaphas and the high priest, and he says he did not open his mouth to utter a word, he didn't need to, because the power in him doesn't go by the rules of this world. See, Jesus, what Jesus did on the cross was to position us in victory. And this encouraged me because someone, uh, Matt Ch uh, uh, Chilvers said this a few weeks back and it really entered into my heart because sometimes I think we know what Jesus has done and, and, we, and we look at ourselves and we say, we need to step into victory, into the victory of the cross. Almost like we look at it from the outside because we look at our situations, we look at the things that are going on in our lives and we see and we recognize our own struggles, and so we put ourselves outside of victory. But actually, Christ has put us into victory because our victory is in Christ, and everything that we have in Christ is found in Christ. Um, does that make sense? So He's positioned us in victory. So we approach the challenges, spiritual, mental, in this world from a position of victory. We are victorious people. We stand in victory. We approach sin from a position of victory. That's why, when, that's why Paul says in Romans that sin is rendered powerless because it has nothing to overcome us because we are victorious over it. We are positioned for victory. What does this mean? The rules are different for you and I. Have you ever thought about that? The rules of this world, the people that you sit next to at work that don't know the Lord, the rules are different for them to us. We live under a different set of rules. We live in a different kingdom. This is what Chris Spice was talking about. Do you know who you are? We, you know, we need to stop thinking of a basement mentality, but a ballroom mentality. We're talking about Cinderella, Cinderella complex. Um, sickness has a different context. This is why it's encouraging to see John from what John's gone through. Because what you see is, you realize is that the context of what John's going through in the Lord is different to someone else in the same situation who doesn't know the Lord. It's a completely different context. We engage with troubling situations in the light of being Christ's. In your family situation, when everything's bouncing off the walls, we see that situation from a position of victory. And this is the thing that we often, um, and I think. Well, Chambers might have said this this morning in his daily reading, if anyone read it. But often we see these things from a position where don't expect everything in God to go well according to your understanding. I think this was Oswald Chambers this morning, wasn't it? 
because that's not necessarily the way that God works. We live under a different rule set. It doesn't change the fact that I'm in victory and you're in victory in your family situation. It may be you don't have to do anything because you are in victory. But we have come under a different rules and we stand in the purposes of God which always will prevail and not under the whim and the will of the world. When everything is blowing around us, we stand solid because we're under a different kingdom. We're under a different rule set. So we've been positioned in victory. But the other part of this phrase was for conquest. Positioned in victory for the purpose of taking ground, for the purpose of conquest. And I want to give a couple of verses to, I trust will help us to understand this context. Matthew 6 verse 9, everyone should know this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Have you ever prayed those prayers? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, Here's a little tangent. I'm going off my notes here, so let's see where we go. Um, When Moses built the tabernacle, he was given the, the design from God, didn't he? In Hebrews, the Hebrew says, the, the pattern was given to Moses. The original is in heaven. The original, the real truth, the reality starts in heaven and is outworked on earth. So on earth, the kingdom of God is here. And Jesus said, but you know, you know that the, the kingdom of God has come, oh, I can't remember that words, but he came to declare the kingdom come. So when we pray this, and this is what really, uh, I hope I can really get with by the Lord's help. The kingdom is here, but we need to appropriate it for him. So uh, by example, if we were a representation of this whole world, as the, the whole world is God's kingdom, but this bunch of people are a bunch of heathens who do not know God and we are the true church. We need to appropriate these people because the kingdom, they are gods. And by praying, Lord, your kingdom come as it is in heaven, your will be done. Now, I'm not saying that everyone is going to get saved. I hope you understand what I mean. Appropriation is to take that which is ours, which is his. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. The first part of that prayer was almost, you, when Jesus said, you pray this. This is a rallying cry because I've positioned you in victory to take conquest of that which is mine. He, this, I'm talking about Jesus. He is mine. And so we read even in Psalm 97, the Lord reigns, and there are many verses. This is just one I just uh, picked. The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. The kingdom has come. Now there will be a day when Jesus returns and we will see it with our eyes. I believe that, that we will meet him in the air if we're still around or we will come. I don't know how it's all going to work, but we're going to see God's kingdom come. But in the meantime, there's a kingdom to be appropriated and we stand from a position of victory. And I guess this is, again, another reminder. The call of God is on the church to bring about the kingdom of God on the earth. 
Here's another verse, Matthew 16, verse 18. And this is when he said to Peter, who am I? And he said, you are the Christ. And he says, you are Peter. And on this rock, I'll build my church. And he says, on this, and I've changed the word a little bit here. On this revelation of Christ, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. That's what he means. The gates of hell, and if you, look, if you know your Old Testament, the gates were where the authorities sit, where they, people would come and they would seek the advice or they would deal with, a bit like going to court, they would talk to the authorities, they would sit in the gate. If you've read Ruth recently, um, Boaz goes and sits in the gate where he discusses about um, Ruth and etc. etc. in the gate. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Now that is a proactive offensive verse, not a defensive verse. This is the church of, on the off, offense against the gates of hell and the gates of hell will not prevail against our offensive move. This is C.S. Lewis. <clears throat> the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ to make them little Christ. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermon, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. The church exists for nothing else but to draw men to Christ, into Christ. Now I know, and I would, if you know C.S. Lewis, I can be sure that he knows before that the church exists to glorify God. The question is, how is that worked out? I believe it's love the Lord your God with your heart and your neighbour as yourself. Love your neighbour as yourself is, you could equally say, draw men into Christ. Now, the, the enemy may kick up a fuss, but we stand positioned in victory. I think Philip, my brother, when he was here, I don't know if he preached it or whether we, we was talking, he, he reminded us when the Bible says you, he often talks about you. And when we, when this is, it was, I don't mean he spoke about this, but he was chatting about Ephesians 6, and it talks about the armor, putting your armor. He's still talking to you. We as a church need to pull on our armor together. He's talking about an army. He's talking about how the armor only works if we are together, if we stand together, because there's, as you might know, there's no back plate, and it's based on the, uh, the, the Roman army that was, that you know, if you know your history, put their shields together, they stood together. It's a you kind of thing. And um, see, as we are stepping into mission opportunities or whatever kind of words you want to do, or you want to use, first of all, we have to understand that my state is victorious. Whatever my experience, that is my state, that is my position, I am victorious. Even though everything may be going wrong around me, seemingly, I am victorious as I stand in the Lord. But there are, there are three, I want to sort of just move this to, there are three characteristics I believe that the church today needs to see outworked. Um, they're worth more, but I kind of cut it down because I wasn't, I wasn't really finding much content in them. But, so this isn't, um, I'm sure there are many other things, but I've got three S's because it's always good to have the same letter, isn't it? Um, and this is first one. Uh, Three characteristics of the church. Stainless, surrendered, and surrounded. Stainless, surrendered, and surrounded. 
The first one, stainless. John 14, verse 31. Jesus says, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may, may know that I love the Father. And the bit there I want us to pick out is, the ruler of this world is coming, Satan. He has no claim on me. Colossians 1, 21 to 23. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless or stainless and above reproach before him if indeed you continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. See, the tricks of the enemy are to unseat us in our minds. He can't unseat us from our position, but he can start to unseat us in our minds. He challenges our um, confidence, to draw us from confidence into fear. And the greatest weapon the enemy has is the sin that we hold on to. I'll tell you something. Um, see, Jesus knew that the enemy was coming for him, but he was spotless, he was stainless, and the enemy had nothing to hold on to. See, Jesus came to make us blameless, and that is what we are in Christ. So do you know that you are stainless in Christ? Do you know your position in Christ? And I want to speak to two people, two types of people, and these two people may be present in this room. One of them particularly is. And this is the first, this is the first person. You hate sin. You resist it in your heart. Everything in you is to please God and love him and devote your life to him. And then when you fall, you fall, you find yourself drifting into sadness, which your joy, you hear the mocking laughter of the enemy, the temptation to give into more sin. You hate this way of life, and when you find your way back to the grace of God, you feel the joy again, and you worship and praise God. Uh, but all through that time, you just feel awful, and you feel what a failure, what, you know, all these words come into your mind. And this is what I want to say. God has made you Blameless. This is what John says in 1 John. If anyone does sin, he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. See, when God looks at you, he sees you as righteous, as blameless, as spotless. See, we don't give any enemy to the ground by wallowing in self-pity. The quickest thing you could ever do is get off out of your self-pity because of your own stupidity um, and you come with forgiveness, asking forgiveness with God, and you get straight back into a place of joy. As soon as we carry self-pity and guilt, we're saying to the Lord that your provision is not enough. I have to participate. You didn't do good enough job, Lord. I've got to participate in that in order to feel better about myself. And we need to come back to grace that says, even though you may fall, you are spotless in the eyes of the Lord. Now, one of the things that you can take some courage in is if there is, if there is such a heartache and a grieving because you know that you sinned, praise God, that's the spirit, isn't it? Isn't that something weirdly to be encouraged by? Not that we go into sin in order to test whether we really know. 
But that's the person number one. We live, live in the truth. We cleanse ourselves. We, we read, we listen, we saturate. That was another S I was going to do. We saturate ourselves in the things of God in order that we keep ourselves from sin because we know how much we hate it when we dishonor God or when we give in to our temptations. But praise God, he looks at us with, in, with grace. This is to the other person. You've understood grace but you drifted from the power of grace to keep us blameless in our practice. You've forgotten what Paul says. Why should we sin any longer? For we are dead to sin. You've embraced sin, justified, excused it, and in the process you've rejected God because one cannot love God and love sin. See, there's a difference between these two types of people. There's one that calls grace as a means to justify their sinful behavior, and the other that calls on grace to empower them to not live in sin any longer. And to this person, I want to say this, God calls us to holiness because it's that state in, um, in that state that we have confidence and power to live like Christ in this world. Your intimacy with God is affected. If you think that to live in sin is okay, for some kind of theological reason about grace, then I can guarantee your intimacy with God has been affected. Now, you may come into worship environments and feel an experience of something which is essentially, may even be the Spirit of God, but if it doesn't bring conviction, God will always convict sin. He will always grieve. And if you've lost that intimacy, you've lost more than just intimacy with God. Colossians says, as Hebrews says, we have to continue in the faith. See, our sensitivity to the Spirit, and Colossians says this, or Ephesians, turns into sensuality of the flesh. And and in that day and age, there's a fine line between the experience of both those things. See, and and, and this, I I think this is worth an amen. Until we stand in victory internally, we will never stand in victory externally. Amen? You get that? If we don't stand in victory internally over sin, over doubt, over fear, we will never stand in victory externally when the troubles and the things are coming on our lives, whether it be sickness, whether it be attack, whether it be all these things that are coming into our lives. So we need to be and know that we are stainless. Number two, surrendered. True surrender is to take myself to the cross every day. As Christians, we have absolutely no rights. No rights to ourselves. We have all the, this is the great paradox, isn't it? All these great blessings of God that God is saying, do you know who you are in me? I want to bless you. I want to encourage you. I want to give you a life that's worth living. I've got a purpose and a plan. There's joy, all these kind of things. But we have no rights. You read Paul, he says, I'm a slave of God, a bondservant. See, it's to remove any request of my own and purely set myself before God and say, your will, not mine. And, it, and, and I'm being honest, and we need to know, <clears throat> Lord, I need an internal work before I can externally work this. So let's just get that clear. We can't work this out. We can't work it from the outside to make it work on the inside. We need it internally working before we can work it out 
externally. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. See, we need a church in these days full of people who are fully surrendered to God. If you want to read about surrendering to God, read Oswald Chambers. He was a great proponent of this whole thing. But this is what it means, I think. It's, Lord, I want to surrender, and this is very Oswald Chambers, because I know there's Oswald Chambers fans in the room. Lord, I want to... (laughs) I surrender all to you, not for my gain, but for yours. See, we can surrender to the Lord out of a gain for ourselves. That's an interesting thing. Not for a better experience in worship, not for a better job or financial situation, not for a better marriage, not for better health, but purely just to say, I'm a vessel given unto the Lord. Whatever your will is, I will allow it. Not for any of these things, but for nothing, just for the glory of God. And it, it starts with this, a desire and willingness to trust him no matter the situation you're in. Now we can, take, we can take some comfort from the Psalms because you have these people that go before us like David who cried out and said, Lord, why? So let's not forget that we can still cry out, why? It starts with a prayerful attitude communion and communication with the Lord. It starts with saturating his, uh, our lives in him, not saturating our lives in the world. It starts with putting God's ways in front of our own and in front of our families, in front of our workplace, in front of our social engagements, whatever it is. It's outworked in submitting to his ways by living out scripture, putting his word into practice, putting to death pride, self and sin by living for his mission, not our own mission whatever your mission or purpose is. John Newton said this, and I think this sums it up, although it's in Old English. What thou wilt, when thou wilt, how thou wilt. Or let's put it into modern English. What you, what you will, when you will, how you will. That's a good summary of surrendering. Have you ever thought about that when things come across your path? Lord, what you will, when you will, how you will. Andrew Murray said, and, and I hope you get this picture because I really found this helpful. Just as water ever seeks and fills the lowest place, so the moment God finds you abased and empty, his glory and power flow in. When we empty ourselves out of all of our pride, all of our self-requirements and deeds, and all of our rights to ourselves, we empty ourselves in that, then the glory will find its way in right into the very depths power of the church is released through surrendered people. And finally, my third one, which is more, more of an external thing, is surrounded. And uh, 2 Kings, chapter 6, you can read the whole passage of 8 to 23, I'm just going to read a bit. It's a story of Elisha when um, he was uh, giving information to the king because God had spoken to him and then the Syrian army turned up at his doorstep and then uh, we read this, the, the young servant goes out, says, this is verse 15, when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city and the, and the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. When Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. 
See, where the, my first two points are internal, this point is external. This is really about, we are a people surrounded. Everywhere you go, you are surrounded. Everywhere we tread, we tread in the kingdom of God. I know some are going overseas maybe or, or even going onto mission trips and they go into places or situations. That, but where we go, we bring the kingdom of God because we go to appropriate that which is already his. Whatever situation we're in, where his hands and his feet, we go as Christ into these places. When we enter a room, we don't stand alone. When someone stands against you, they stand against the full force of heaven because we are surrounded. See, Paul says our fight is against principalities and powers, not flesh and blood. So we know that the practical situations that we are in are not the things to be concerned about. The things to be concerned about are those things that are unseen. And as, and, oh Lord, you open up our eyes that we may see the mountains covered with the chariots of fire. We're, we are surrounded. We are a surrounded people. And the other, the other area to sing in practically is we are also surrounded by our church community. Let's not neglect the power of this community. I, I know I preached this before. Uh, whether we undervalue, you know, whenever church meets, whether it be in a house or whether it be here, there is, a, there is power in community. There is something that happens corporately that does not happen when we are on our own. God designed church to be a body where I do not have those things that you have and you do not have those things that I have. So I need to be in proximity with you. And when we neglect that, <clears throat> we neglect a lot of things. And here's a quote from Spurgeon. It says, never neglect the means of grace. And what he means is, the grace of God is forever being poured out. The ministry of God is forever being ministered, poured out, and just always, always. And we, we want to be receptors of that grace, don't we? He says, never neglect the means of grace. God may bless us when we are not in his house, but we have the greater reason to hope that he will when we are in communion with his saints. In other words, he says this, God indeed will bless us. And if he is to bless us, he can, of course, bless us anywhere. But we can be sure he will bless us when we come together as his church. If there's any guarantee about church when we come here together, when we meet as church in the week, God will bless us. If any of you two or three are gathered together, there I am in the midst of it. God can't go anywhere without blessing anyone. You know, I was thinking as we were singing this verse, I've been thinking about this a lot actually. And again, when we had this day of prayer, there was some, again, something that I think the Lord showed me, that when we sing, there is a release in the spirit that goes beyond these walls. I think I mentioned this before. Something spiritually happens when we sing, and we sing together. And this is what Ephesians 5 verse 19 it says this. It says, addressing one another in psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. But it was this, addressing one another. 
addressing one another. I know you hate it, but you know those times when I've said, right, we're going to sing this song. Now turn to person, sing it to them, and everyone dies inside because we have to look at each other. But that's what the scripture says. When we sing, we sing unto the Lord. We sing to one another. <clears throat> and I believe we sing, and there's a spiritual implication outside, particularly if people from the outside are inside the building. But it was this, it was this thing. There are some songs that we're singing to God, for God, about God. There are some songs we're singing to encourage our hearts to know who we are in order that we may go on to sing about God, about who he is. And sometimes those songs are different. And then there are spiritual songs. So when Jana was singing earlier, she was singing, sing your own love song. That's when songs rise in our spirit and we start to sing and they may be in another language or they may be in English and you just sing your own song to the Lord and then, then there are times I don't know how this works where it says um, singing making melody to the Lord with your heart now that may, that's got to outwork somehow but our hearts just moved to sing 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 psalms, sing hymns, spiritual songs, melodies to the Lord with your heart. Give him thanks always. There's a power in singing. And, and, and let me ask you, I know some of you might sing on your own, but there's nothing better than singing with others, isn't it? Yeah. You know, we're we need to be surrounded. We're surrounded and we're surrounded. But let's make a choice to be surrounded. Amen? So we stand in confidence because we do not stand alone. Where there is opposition, it's because we stand together to conquer. And if there's any guarantee of the power of God being released through you, it's when the enemy takes aim at you. Amen. Yeah? If you want to know when God's working through you, is if you know the enemy's on you. Guaranteed. Because there's no other way that we can stand Unless God is working out. So I want to finish with this. See, as a church, and this is the point, as a church, we need to know who we are because God's calling us to appropriate the kingdom in Eltham, wherever you are. It's his. It's his. And we have a confidence to go over to maybe to stand with someone. I mean, Jana's, Jana is on the boat. Jana getting in the car and then starts talking to the lady in the car next. And of course, with Jana, they tend to go back, way back to in the beginning, and Jana tells them about the Lord. And then went separate ways. Who knows what will happen? But who knows what your part is in claiming that which is God's? You don't know that person next to you God has brought into your life because you're there to claim what is his. So we have to be confident. We have to know who we are. We are positioned in victory. And if we get a reaction, it's because God's working out through us. So let's go back to these first things. Let's live in the fullness of his provision. It's gained by death and resurrection. Let's enjoy his benefits. Lord, I want everything. If it costs you, you bought it, I'll have it. I don't want to get into any kind of false humility that says, oh, no, I'm not worthy. I know I'm not worthy, but that's not the reason that God's given it to me. He's not giving it to me because I am or because I feel that I'm not. He's given it to me because he died to give it to me, so I'll have it. Be careful of natural intensity that parades as some form of spirituality. Let's seek for joy and peace. Seek for the blessings of God as he pours out on his children, receive and expect to receive more. Lord, give me this day our daily bread. Whenever I pray that, from the Lord's Prayer, I always say, and Lord, I receive it with thanksgiving. Amen. Don't just say, Lord, give me. I say, thank you, Lord. And I don't know what 
what it's gonna, how it's going to work out in my life, I don't need to think about that. But my, my other point was, let's engage ourselves in God's mission. There's a reason for the church. It's not to keep us comfortable till the day he returns. It's to engage ourselves in his mission to see sinners saved. One final quote from C.S. Lewis. In such a fearful world, we need a fearless church. Amen. Shall we pray? And then if the uh, worship team want to come up, we can just respond and love the Lord together. And I encourage you as we, as we pray, I want to ask you the question, are you committed to kingdom business? Are you committed to kingdom business? Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for the cross. Everything that you have done on the cross, Lord, has released far more than we can ever um, understand, ever can imagine. Lord, you have done far more than we will ever experience on our time on on this earth. But what we do know, Lord, is that you have brought about a victory. Lord, and we stand in you in victory Lord, and I want to pray, Father, that for us as a church, not just those here present, but for those also away at this time, that you will rally our hearts to see the wonderful potential of extending your kingdom through those that we meet day by day. Lord, give us a confidence. Give us a joy of who we are in you. Lord, we know it's not because of us. We know it's all because of you. But may our eyes be on your business. May we be stainless, surrendered, and know that we are surrounded. Lord, that we may take ground in these days. And I just thank you, Lord. All this is possible by the inworking of your Holy Spirit. So we invite you now to do the work that needs to be done in our hearts. Whether we see the fruit of it today, tomorrow, or in a month's time, we want to respond to you and say, Lord, please do the work in my heart because I cannot do it myself. So we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.